and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day, and he is in the fourth round and the fifth round of the FA Cup, which is really rubbing it in. From Liverpool University, it's Kieran Maguire. Hello, Kieran, who are you? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very good, Kevin. I've just got my first Panini swap. Uh, Joe Willock. So if anybody needs a Joe Willock, you know, get in contact with me through the usual sources and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, you might have to turn that into a separate pod, Kieran. Otherwise, I'm going to be doing a lot of heavy sighing. <laughs> yeah, well done on being in the fourth round of the fifth round of the FA Cup. I'm still not quite sure the logic behind that double draw, but seldom have I seen balls pulled out of a bowl with less razzmatazz than BT Sport did it last night. It was just it literally gave the impression that they double booked the studio with the rugby and they had to get it over and done with really quickly. Well, Peter Crouch did a, a really lame long arm joke. But anyway, never mind that. It's just my my bitterness at being the first team knocked out in the third round of the FA Cup. And later on, Kieran, we'll be hearing from somebody else who's still in the FA Cup, Andy Godden, who is chair of the Swansea City Supporters Trust. But before that, we have the news. Uh, there was no romance in the actual game that Marine played against Tottenham in the third round, Kieran, but virtual tickets made them a lot of money. Yes, this proved to be uh, an amazing success and fair play to Marine for showing a bit of initiative. So they they decided to sell virtual tickets for £10 a pop. Um, and I thought initially they, they, they'd get a bit of interest and things of this nature. But then it became a, a sort of a bit of a race. Spurs fans wanted to show that they were, were generous fans and they were absolutely fantastic. And then Liverpool and Everton fans thought, well, Spurs are getting all the limelight. Hold on. Yeah, we're, we're, we're good fans as well. We want to show support to a local club in the form of Marine. So they ended up selling nearly 31,000 tickets. Wow. Um, at ten pounds a throw, so you know, it, it's a fantastic uh, money money raiser for them. On, on top of the fact that, of course, that they would have got a broadcasting fee, um, and and they will have picked up some money as well from just participating in the third round of the FA Cup. So, fantastic news, and you know, for all those fans, and and also the you know the people such as Gary Lineker and Jose Mourinho and. Uh, Ian Wright, yeah, they they all they all bought into it. They all bought a ticket and publicised it. Um, it. It's one of those it's one of those good news stories. Um, you know that money can now be reinvested. Marina are a very progressive club. They've got lots of lots of teams themselves. So uh, it, it's win win all round. Yeah, and I, I know people will say Gary Lineker and Ian Wright have got the money to buy virtual tickets, but they're actually at the game. So if anybody had an excuse not to buy a virtual ticket, I mean, it's it's a brilliant effort considering the game was live on national terrestrial television as well, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's effectively, yeah, it, it's a donation to Marine Football Club. But, uh, you know, the fact that nearly 31,000 people had the decency to do that uh, is is a sign that people love love football in this country. And also that, that romance of the FA Cup is still there. It, 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 is a, it is a competition which people have become a bit cynical about. And I think we, we've got to look at the clubs here because it, it, okay, it's not a huge money raiser for the clubs in the Premier League and they don't take it perhaps as seriously as they ought to, some of them. But but for fans, you know, I, I can still remember every single FA Cup final of the 1970s, but I can't yeah. for the last 10 years. And I, I think that's sort of indicative of... of the, it's lost a little bit of a law, but uh, a home draw for a small club such as Marine is uh, is, is a game changer in terms of the impact on their finances. Yeah, well, as you know, Kieran, we recorded Monday's pod, the questions pod, on Sunday morning, uh, or as you call it, Sunday afternoon. Um, but I was I was very, if you remember, I was very cynical about the FA Cup when we recorded that. But then watching the Crawley player in tears. Uh, telling his story about how he came to be playing for Crawley and how his career had gone so badly and, and then seeing him scoring that goal and, and crying. And I, I, fell, I fell back in love with the FA Cup a little bit. And, and, and talking of the words football, uh, this country, live on TV, leads us into a story that's uh, causing some amusement, uh, really, because it's, it's bad news for English football fans living in Europe, isn't it? Um, yes. Uh, what's happened is that, unfortunately, under the Brexit rules, if you have a, a Sky subscription, historically, 
if you went to the EU, you could actually watch the matches, you know, using your your laptop or using your your tablet, um, using your uh, with your existing Sky Sports and BT subscription, you could watch those live. Um, as a result of Brexit, that no longer applies. So, uh, I mean, it, you you might have to find a bar, which which is fine, provided the bar is showing the match you're looking forward to. Um, but if not, uh, you're not going to be able to see the matches that uh, that you wanted, and uh, yeah, it, it's a bit of a blow, um, yeah, especially for those uh, for those Brits that go abroad or historically have gone abroad to to the EU or uh, European countries for you know a few months in the summer, and, and they still want to watch watch sport. Um, it's going to be a pain in the backside for them. Yeah, well, you, good luck finding a bar that's open in the middle of a COVID pandemic. But it's it's led to lots of anecdotal, humorous in inverted commas, remarks about elderly people on the 1st of January settling down to watch the game in the south of France and then having to phone their kids back in England and say, why can't I get the football? And the kids back in England explaining that because we're now, <laughs> because of Brexit, basically. But it also annoys me, people, uh, it's no secret, Kieran, that you and I were Remainers uh, in this scenario. And it annoys me that that's the sort of thing that the Remain campaign should have been saying to people. You do know you won't be able to watch football in France afterwards, and I think we might still be in the EU if the argument had been along those lines. Um, and there's, there's, I mean, it's not going to change, is it? People just have to find other ways of, of streaming the football, won't they? Yeah, and yeah, we all know there are other ways. There's always other ways, um, not necessarily uh, legal means. Uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's just it, it's it's a small irritation um, and. You know, I'm, I'm I'm a Democrat. I always say, you know, re- respect a vote. But uh, you know, g- going back to 2015, 16, uh, n- neither neither party or ne- neither side conducted themselves particularly well, uh, and uh, you know, we are where we are. I should say we don't encourage uh, illegal means of watching football, but we do acknowledge they exist. Uh, now, Arsenal, Arsenal have borrowed 120 million pound from the Bank of England. Uh, and before we talk about that, Kieran, if anyone from NatWest is listening, perhaps they could explain their reluctance to lend me a few, Bob, when the Bank of England is literally giving it away. As I reckon I've probably got as much equity on my property as they have, give or take a naught or two. Um, it's um, it, it's an eye-watering sum of money, Kieran, and it, 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 but it does seem that the Bank of England are only too willing to lend to big Premier League wealthy football clubs who, who approach them. And at very low rates of interest. Yes, uh, the the Bank of England have this. I think it's called CCFF scheme for in relation to COVID. And what you've got to be able to do is to to prove that you make a contribution to the UK economy um, and that you have suffered a loss of revenue as a result of COVID. And and Arsenal clearly do that. I mean, you know, their, their revenues three to four hundred million pounds. Um, Spurs have have done similar. Spurs uh, got involved in a similar arrangement uh, a few months ago. Um, it, it is a short term loan. Uh, you're, you're you're paying next to zero interest on it. Um, it cannot be used uh, to go into the transfer market. I think that's something we have to make okay. very clear uh, w- with regards to to those people who are being critical of the football industry and and, and there is a lo- there is an element of criticism at present which is starting to come from central government as a result of um abuses of uh, of the covid rules where where football clubs uh, or football club employees haven't necessarily conducted themselves particularly well but but in this uh, arsenal uh, yeah they are a big employer um they've they've not used the the, the furlough scheme um and their revenues from match day income um sort of from the start of the pandemic to the end of this season i, d- I don't think we're going to see crowds uh, for the rest of this season i think i think we're all at, we're all resigned to that will be in the region of 120 million pounds and and that's why um i think they've taken out the loan of that amount now critics will say well hold on arsenal are owned by an American multi-billionaire, why can't mm. he lend them the money? Well, if, if you can borrow at 0.1% or 0.2% or however low it's going to be, from, from, a, from a business point of view, it, it's a logical step to take. Mm. Yes, and again, if anyone from NetWest is listening, I'd be happy to pay close to zero interest. Um, let's, let's talk, NetWest. We can do it privately. Direct message me. Uh, also in London, just a few miles to the east, there are a couple of things going on at West Ham. 
including a new director, Kieran, with a past almost as colourful as yours. Uh, yes, I, I, there's there's two stories in, in respect of, of West Ham. First of all, um, West Ham's landlord, which is a company called E20 LLP, which is effectively uh, you know, a, a government agency or a local government agency, um, it rents out the, the City of London Stadium. And, and I think West Ham play a little bit less than £3 million a year. Mm. Um, th- this, this company, LLP, lost £28 million in 2020. And its total losses are now up to £283 million. And remember, you know, it, it only kicked off after the Olympics in 2012. So it's not been knocking around for very long. Um, it, it does look as if the, the deal signed by West Ham um, is very is very good for the club, um, but isn't very good for the, the shareholders of E20 LLP. And, and those shareholders are effectively the, the taxpayers in London. Hmm. So, um, you know, wh- whether a better deal could have been signed at the time, you know, we, we don't know. But uh, it, it is costing, you know, a, a half a million pounds a week to to London taxpayers um, in terms of losses being made from that stadium, um, whereas West Ham are paying you know, a, 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 a pittance compared to that to get a you know a, a sixty thousand capacity stadium. Um, you know, it's, you know if, if you if you crunch the numbers for the number of people that will be attending in a year, they got twenty games. It, it, it works out as you know just a couple of quid per per, per fan per match, um, and, and therefore it's very lucrative from from West Ham's point of view. Yeah, Kieran, but, uh, Kieran, can I can I just stop you here, Kieran? Because much as I love you, and, and much as I'm normally only too happy to jump on the London taxpayer soapbox about the West Ham story, this is not really the story we're properly interested in, is it? It's the other. Can we get to the other one? Okay. Um, the, the other story is that West Ham yesterday or, or Tuesday, they appointed two new directors. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time something happens uh, at Company's House, it pings into my inbox. Mm-hmm. So I did a quick uh, quick Google background search. One of these directors is called David Sullivan, who turns out to be the son of David Sullivan. So he's the son of one of the co-owners of West Ham. Yeah. And the, the other one, uh, her name is Emma Benton Hughes, mm, aka. I I just googled Emma Benton Hughes, and if you do that, it comes up as real name Eve Vorley, um, an actress and director. And I thought, mm. oh, okay, you know, somebody you know, you're you're in the entertainment world, mm-hmm. um, and and the actress in in films such as Lesbian Nurses and the director of Horny Housewives on the Job. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and and then I thought, yeah, as you know, I, I will put everything out on Twitter. And the reaction on social media was quite, quite intrigued. Uh, people, people got quite excited about this. Um, and, and then it turns out that uh, Emma Benton Hughes used to have a, a fan club, which was run by her brother. And her brother's name is Johnny Trunk. Mm. Which, which is about as good a name as you can get, and uh, her fan club had nineteen thousand happy members. Mm. Um, so very uh, happy it does members. Look yeah, as, as if uh, you know the the board of directors has been broadened. And, and then I thought, okay, this is, this is, this is a bit of fun. But yeah, I, I used to work in the adult industry when I, when I ran uh, ran a sex shop, and nobody says you know Kieran Maguire, former sex shop owner, when they talk about me. So so is it right that we we perhaps are being harsh on uh, Emma Benton Hughes because the focus, and, and this has now gone in the tabloids today, is is upon her for, uh, her former career in the porn industry. Uh, you know, she's fully entitled to be treated with the same amount of respect as any other director of a club. Mm-hmm. A uh, little secret here, Kieran. I always refer to you as ex-sex shop owner Kieran Maguire when I talked about you in public. Um, and you're right. There is, I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's the first time that the directorship of a football club changing hands has been front page news on the Daily Star, which is an indication of her background. Uh, you forgot Naked Neighbours and Dirty Fan Mail as well, by the way, amongst her other classics. Um, I think uh, putting aside her, her past, which is you know uh, similar to her husband's past, I'm I'm more interested, and I think West Ham fans would be more interested in the idea that both David Sullivan's sons are now involved in the club. David, as you say, as a, as a director, Jack Sullivan is managing director of the women's team, 
Uh, and David Sullivan's partner, uh, Emma Bunted Hughes, aka Vivaldi, is now a director. That, as an, as an outsider, that's not a particularly good look. I mean, is it is it common practice? I mean, I don't know how other many directors they have, but does it not raise concerns that one particular family are having more influence on board decisions than others, perhaps? Um, yeah, uh, the the other main main director, David Gold. There's been two new appointments to the board, mm-hmm. who apparently are sort of business associates of David Gold. Um, but you, you're absolutely right. the The idea of um, family legacies within clubs doesn't necessarily mean that the pest people are, are being appointed for the job, and, and you're going to be getting new directors who who are going to question it and you know and, and the whole point about you know having a good board of directors a, a, a good director is what you call a critical friend so, you know somebody mm. who who you can trust but will still say to you i think the the decisions which are being made aren't necessarily great there there is history of this um if we take a look at manchester united owned by max malcolm glazer originally when he passed away it passed on to his six kids and um, then if we take a look at Blackpool, uh, Blackpool Football Club was, was formerly owned by convicted rapist Owen Oyston, and it then passed to Carl Oyston, his son. Um, and, and, you know, and I've said this on many occasions, and, and I'm quite happy to, uh, you know, if, if, if producer guy wants to remove this, yeah, the shit never falls far from the arsehole as far as I'm concerned when it comes to Blackpool Football Club and, and that particular uh, that, that particular dynasty, uh, because Blackpool f- fans they, they went through a, an awful lot of trauma with with the family uh, and and the way that the Oystons behaved, and of course that ended up in court, and, and they ended up effectively losing control of the club. Mm. I normally go for the apple; very rarely falls far from the tree. But I'm going to use your description from now on, uh, assuming, of course, any of this gets in. I'll tell you what; I'll, I'll distract Guy so that he just puts this straight out without editing. How's that? Uh, I'll send him loads of emails overnight so he doesn't listen to it. Um, talking to Manchester United, Ed Woodward of Manchester United is now the Premier League Premier League's highest paid club director. Is there any significance in that? Um, well, I, I guess that it's it's a sign of faith um, of the Glazer family in in Ed Woodward. Uh, he he has delivered in terms of the club's ability to generate revenue over the years. He he has been credited with the uh, with Manchester United turning itself into this uh, this commercial giant mm-hmm. and and United's ability to to sell the club's name and to sell the club's badge globally um, has been one of the reasons why it it was a success uh, under Sir Alex Ferguson to to an extent I think Sir Alex Ferguson probably deserves much more of the credit um but his his uh, his pay took a slight decline but it was still 3.1 million pounds for the year ended the 30th of June 2020 so he's just uh, he's just ahead of Daniel Levy who came in at just under 3 million pounds um but you know, we, we've said that Manchester United have done many good things during the pandemic in terms of the furlough, uh, in terms of making food parcels available to, to, to people and things of this nature. And of course, Marcus Rashford, we are huge fans of for the work that he's done on, on, on food poverty in this country. I still take the view if Manchester United can afford to pay an executive £3.1 million, mm. then they should be able to afford to pay their employees the, the the real living wage in Manchester because that only requires a fifty eight pence an hour increase in pay. Um, so, come on, United, do the right thing by your staff. You know, you, there are I, I've got friends back in Manchester uh, who work for the club and they and they love United. Um, yeah, fifty eight pence an hour isn't too much to ask for. Yeah, it's it's not, and as, as you say, even being cynical about this, the the PR value, the goodwill that would stem from that would be huge. And the, the fact is as well, I don't think you'll find many Man United fans who wouldn't think that's the right thing to do. Yeah, there, there is, there's not one Man United fan who's going to say, well, no, we can't afford to pay the, the proper living wage. And it's it's a gesture that should be uh, should be made. And, and maybe the, that pressure needs to come from, from Man United fans. But I think you're right to point out as well, Kieran, sometimes we... we we look at these big clubs, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, etc. We look at them as giant, faceless behemoths. And to an extent, 
at the very top board level they are but on on the the ground level the people that are running those clubs on a day-to-day basis are mainly from Manchester and Liverpool and mainly love the club that they work for yes yeah uh, and you know for for a while Manchester United was the biggest private sector employer in the city of Manchester itself and 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 that's great you know I I, I played for Trafford cricket club so I, I was close to old Trafford uh, you know, and and that that area of town is isn't the wealthiest. So, you know, uh, you know, for those twenty five times a year or whatever it was that Manchester United are playing at home, you know, the the ecosystem uh, in terms of the the sort of the supply chain of it's just the chip shops and the the, the program sellers and so on is is absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I think Manchester United do an awful lot of good. They could just do a little bit more, uh, mm. in, in my view. Um, yeah, when when Manchester United started in the in the Premier League, the chief executive was paid 165 grand a year. Uh, you know, for that to increase by a factor of 20, you know, how, how many other people have had their income rise by a factor of 20 um, in in less than 30 years? Very, very few indeed. So, mm. uh, you know, fo- fo- football's a success. The, the 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 median salary for a chief executive in the Premier League is now 1.2 million pounds. Um, Sometimes clubs just, yeah, we've always used this phrase, tin ear, but they could just do a little bit more. It wouldn't cost them a lot. Um, and I think it would be appreciated by um, not just the people in, rec- in receipt of the, the, the additional uh, money. Yeah, yeah, we're talking for somebody doing a 35-hour, we're talking an extra 15 to 20 quid a week. Um, it will be appreciated by the fans. Mm. Did I refer to Ed Woodward as director before? Should I say chief executive? Uh, well, it's, it's all the same. It's all the same. Well, it's, it's not really to the sort of people that tweet in <laughs> tiny mistakes. <laughs> As we know, I'm sure it's Swiss Ramble tweeting under different names. Um, three stories in Scotland now for you, Kira Maguire, ex-employee of a sex shop in Brighton, to talk about. Um, the, the lower leagues and Scottish Cup have been suspended for three weeks. Has that come from the clubs or from the Scottish government? Uh, no, that that has come from, I, I think, broadly from the government via the SPFL. Um, I think if you, if you take a look at uh, in clubs in in League Two in Scotland, you know, you've got a club like Annan Athletic, where the the average crowd pre COVID was three hundred and forty seven. For the, those clubs to be playing football it makes no sense whatsoever because uh, you're increasing risk um, in terms of you know, they can't afford COVID testing. Um, there's not a lot of people who were going pre COVID, so. Uh, I think I think there is some sense. It, it's the you know it, it's the equivalent of some of the the the, the non elite football that's been um, cancelled here in in England, and, and I think the Scottish government has simply looked to see where is the the, the income streams coming from. They, they don't make a lot of money from the TV deal either, um, and, and they've got costs to bear. So I, I think it's I think it's an appropriate decision to make uh, by all concerned. Yeah, please God, Scottish football, like the rest of uh, the UK, will be fully back to normal for the start of next season. Uh, and it's possible that Rangers and Celtic B teams could feature in League Two, which I'm guessing would be Kaching time, wouldn't it, for some of the smaller clubs? Um, potentially, yes. I mean, at present, there are 10 teams in the in League Two in Scotland. Um, but there is a proposal to expand the League to, to 16, to take two additional teams from the Highland League, two additional teams from the Lowland League, and two Colts teams from Rangers and Celtic. Um, now, historically, there's been a lot of pushback on this because... Um, I think there's a concern as to how where would the ceiling be? So are they only allowed to play in League Two? Would they be allowed to go into League One? Would they be allowed to go into the Championship? Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I think there's, there's a little bit of a discomfort there. But it looks as if Rangers and Celtic are, are very keen uh, for this to go ahead. So they, they've offered, I think, the clubs in League Two an initial 125 grand. Um, which could rise you know, on a longer term basis to a million pounds, and they've also said that if if they go ahead with this, they will commit to selling a minimum of two hundred tickets for each away match. So therefore, there would be additional money for uh, for these lower league clubs. Um, 
you know, Rangers, due to you know, the, the financial issues they had a few years ago, ended up playing in League Two, um, and that that meant that when they appeared in in those individual matches, you know, the, the 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 other team was swamped with Rangers fans, um, which is good for the local pubs, it's good for the club, it's good for the local taxi drivers, and so on, um, you know, and, and things of this nature. Um, how that's going to go ahead whether it's going to go ahead. It, it's going to be tough to push it through because under the constitution of the SPFL, it would need uh, 11 votes in, in the premiership. Now, clearly, they've already got two of those. Um, but on top of that, it would need 75% approval in in the bottom three divisions. So it would have to be a, a very compelling case. Um, and when it comes to Rangers and Celtic, there, there's a lot of politics uh, in 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 the form of of Scottish football, so I, I think they will have to put forward a, a very persuasive argument as to the benefits, not just to them, but uh, as to Scottish football as a whole. But if it means more money going into these lower league clubs, you know, then then, then that clearly is one potential benefit. I have to say that guaranteeing a minimum of two hundred away tickets seems a little bit disingenuous because my guess would be that even Rangers and Celtic B teams would attract attract a thousand away fans would be my guess and that's going to lead to a lot of security issues in grounds as you say that are more used to 300 400 people isn't it um i think i think there's an element of yes and no here because you know rangers and celtic fans ultimately want to see their their senior team play right and you know if if those matches are taking place at the same time as as Rangers and Celtic on a Saturday, the yeah. the Rangers and Celtic fans will be watching that match on television, or they'll yeah. be watching it via stream or things of this nature. But um, you know, I, I, I I've appeared on on Scottish radio on quite a few occasions, and and I, even I was surprised when when one of the presenters said to me, you know, ninety percent of people in in Scotland support one of those two clubs, mm. so therefore there are outposts. Of Rangers and Celtic fans in, in every uh, in every town and village, by the sound of it, um, and perhaps you know it would give them an opportunity to see players who will be you know the stars of the future. So, so the, the numbers of tickets, I, I, I'd be intrigued to find out the impact it would have. But I, I suspect that they you know, it, it, especially if those clubs are successful, um, th- then it, then it would push on. But just because you're young, you know, as, as we saw with um, Derby County at Chorley. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> at, at the weekend, we were so um, nearly all the way through without mentioning Derby, Kieran. I know um, that you know kids, kids, kids against uh, more senior players don't yeah. necessarily find it that easy. Yeah, and just in passing as well, you mentioned uh, an invite to two Highland League teams. I, I always was under the impression that the the economics of travel in Scotland. Some people I don't fully believe realise how big Scotland is as a country and how much the most of the teams are concentrated in the lowland belt. I always thought the the cost of travel was was considered prohibitive for Highland League teams to play in the National League. Um I I, I think that has been an argument in the past. Um but Highland League teams feel that they have been uh, unfairly treated if they're willing to bear those costs. Um, and quite often you will find that these clubs are are very very efficient and very very w- well run. Yeah. Um. Uh. B- because that they are so much a focal point of, of of the local town that they should be given the opportunity to to progress within within the Scottish football pyramid. Mm. And our final Scottish story: Dundee United players have agreed to a wage cut. Yes. Um. Dundee United, they pre-COVID, they were losing around about seventy-five grand a week. So yeah, they weren't in a great financial position. Um, their manager agreed to a pay cut in October. His name is Mickey Mellon, so I don't know whether he's connected to the, the West Ham board of directors with a name like that. Um, <laughs> and the players have now agreed to cuts themselves. Initially, I think there was a bit of pushback. Uh, yeah, they, they won't have been on big money um, at Dundee United. Um, but uh, I, I think the agreement is that they, they will be willing to take some form of pay cut. The club was initially pushing for 20%. I don't think it will go that far. Um, 
but they will get their wages back or rather they will be back put back on full wages once crowds return and, and we're all hoping that that's going to be as soon as soon as possible i mean the directors of dundee united had to put in 5 million pounds into the club to keep it going um in 2019 so it is a club which has has ambitions um it, it is a club that wants to progress and, and yeah we, we've always said that if, if you want to do that you need to invest in talent on the pitch and that doesn't come cheap yeah now you've mentioned uh the lord voldemort of football derby county uh i think we could probably reveal that you we need to finish in a moment because you're <laughs> you're going on to bbc radio derby that's going to be an interesting experience isn't it i might i might get you to text me how that <laughs> how that how that goes do you do you have any more news for for derby fans when you're on bbc radio derby um it's it's to do with the takeover um, in terms of progress, uh, and historically it's been two steps forward, one step back. But I, I think for all concerned uh, at Derby, it'll be good that this if this deal can go through, provided the new directors uh, have passed the the owners and directors test. Clearly, there's been issues recently in terms of wages. Um, there's an there's an outstanding. Uh, there's an outstanding case against the, from the EFL. Uh, it, it's all been very messy. Yeah, we we would love to stop talking about that club. Mm. Now, our final news story before our interview with the Swansea guy, Andy Godden. Uh, I, I managed to get through more than a year of this pod, Kieran, about talking about Paninis, and now you've started a Panini landslide, which sounds a little bit like Homer Simpson's favourite snack. Uh, um, Panini America have signed David Beckham on an exclusive autograph and memorabilia deal, which sounds like it's going to be lucrative at the very least. Um, yes, I, I, I did some background into Panini. Um, you know, and we, we, we have a bit of a joke about you know grown men acting like twelve-year-old kids collecting these cards. Mm-hmm. But Panini's income in, in, in last year was over a billion dollars. You know, they, wow. they make more money than any football club in the world. In the so, world, yeah, wow. yeah, it, it is uh, yeah, a, a huge operation. And then when you start to to look uh, behind them, it, it's not just football that they're doing, but uh, you know uh, they're, they're doing American uh, franchise sports as well. And and now they've realised that they they can go for slightly more niche markets, selling sell, selling the stickers at slightly higher prices. So so David Beckham has has agreed to uh, be an ambassador for them, i.e. to promote their products, and he's going to be selling autographed photos, shirts, balls, and things with some form of link to Panini. So so David Beckham will will make a lot of money out of it. But I also went on to uh, eBay just to see sort of the history of, of David Beckham and Panini. And um, if you've got a mint 1996 David Beckham Panini sticker, and by mint, I it's not in a it's not in a uh, it's not not in a, a book, mm. not mm. um, and and it's uh, it's not had the the backing revealed. Uh, they're going for about six or seven hundred quid, or yeah, that's the asking price. Um, so clearly, they do have value. Um, and uh, David Beckham did make his debut for Manchester United uh, against Brighton Hove Albion at the Goldstone Ground. So, so there's a very tenuous link to my club there as well. Um, Did but, you lose? Uh, sorry? Did you lose? Uh, no, we we, uh, we drew 1-1. One, one. It, it was oh. in the, it was in, I think it was in those days when the League Cup was two-legged. That's uh, disappointing. <laughs> Sure. Uh, it, well, Kieran, let's uh, yeah, let's console ourselves with the fact that it won't be too long before a signed Kieran Maguire top trump card is going to be going for that sort of money as well, isn't it? Well, well yes, yeah, we, we we do have this exclusive set of top trump cards, and I've still got a few sets left. So if anybody <laughs> sends us uh, something which really impresses us, we might send them send them out a set. They are so exclusive, aren't they? <laughs> exclusive, as in not. Enough people want them to make them not exclusive. <laughs> a, bit, a bit like our merchandise in terms of the t-shirts. Oh Christ! I'd forgotten about the merchandise. I haven't mentioned that for. A I just thought we'd that quietly slid away. Well, um, my, my next door neighbour Paul, oh, yeah. um, who is a big fan of the pod, uh-huh. he bought his wife uh, one of the the Baroness T-shirts, and I don't think uh, she was over impressed about him buying a shirt with uh, next door neighbour's wife's name on the back of it. Yeah, see, this all sounds like the start of a film made by a West Ham director, doesn't it? <laughs> It's how it starts. It starts with an innocent T-shirt. Oh, hello. I was just doing the washing up. 
Uh, I've come around to fix the dishwasher. I bought you this T-shirt. Never mind. Um, we should move on to the interview, Kieran, because it's a very interesting one. And, and Until a few weeks ago, we barely mentioned Swansea City. Then a casual question from a listener about their finances and new directors led to a lot of concern requests from Swansea fans for information. So we asked for inside knowledge from Andy Godden, chair of the Supporters Trust at Swansea City. Uh, and we spoke to him about an hour ago, and then this is what he had to say to us. Ah. Uh. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Andy, hello. Thank you for talking to us. Uh, before we start, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be chair of the Swansea City Supporters Trust. Uh, okay. Um, so um, I've been a Swans fan all my life. I thank, thank my father for that. Uh, grew, grew up in Swansea, um, followed the Swans ho- home and away. God, 30, over 30 years now, got to be. Uh, how did I get involved with the trust? Uh, well, my professional background um I qualified as a management accountant, so I have to have to do my degree in finance, um, sort of in in two thousands. Um, and uh, I, I used to travel uh, to away games when I was living in London with the current Swan support director, uh, Stuart McDonald. Um, so for years before then, he was uh, he was involved with the Sports Trust and said, "Oh, you should get involved. You should get involved." Uh, and he, he kind of got me at a weak moment because we were out in Valencia. <laughs> uh, we just won three uh, nil in the Mestalla, and you know life can't get much better than that, can it? And uh, he goes, "Oh, you should join the Trust board." I said, "Oh yeah, go on then." Um, uh, a bit merry at that point, and so I got involved. And he said at the time, "Oh no, his things things are quite." you know, quiet with it, you know, we, we do some things, you know, that yeah. no, no real dramas. Um, and then I think um, I got involved just after Lodrup had been sacked and Gary Monk came in uh, and things rather spiralled after that. So um, I don't know whether I'm a bit of a curse or not, but um, yeah, so that's how I got involved with the trust board. Um, Phil Sumbler was the uh, the chairman of the organisation for oh, quite some time, probably around a decade, if not more. Um, and he retired uh, this summer. Uh, I was the vice chair at the time, uh, so um, I sort of um, stood and was elected to the chair in um, uh, last summer. So that's why I am where I am. Uh, I, I have to say, Andy, I, I don't like it when I'm outnumbered by accountants. On the, on the, it's hard <laughs> uh, enough keeping one in check without having two on. That's a great backstory, though. I love the way that you casually mentioned the, uh, yeah, we just won 3-0 in the missed eye. So <laughs> well, it'll never happen again. So, uh. <laughs> and, and I think we need to point out, because we have listeners all over the world, Andy, who may not know that your trust is, is more than just a fan's pressure group because you own 21% of the club. We do, that's correct, yes. Okay. Um, it seems that a lot of that unease we were talking about um, earlier in your introduction from fans and is around the recent shake-up of, of directors. Um, presumably as part owners, you were aware that those changes were coming, but were you told why they were coming? Uh, yes. Uh, I think if you look at the fan angst, it's probably, it probably all dates back to 2016 uh, and the sale of the club to the current uh, majority owners from the previous owners. Uh yeah, so in terms of the latest changes at board level, uh, we were aware beforehand. Um, we were aware of w- what the scope of the proposal was. Um, so um, we were a bit surprised uh, on the departure of Steve Kaplan, obviously, but that, that wasn't entirely expected. Um, but uh, yeah, um, yeah. So um, at the time, we hadn't we hadn't spoken to Jake Silverstein either, so that was a bit of a concern, to say the least. But um, yeah, we, we were aware before things were publicised. There was a there was a club board meeting uh, prior to uh, um, things being filed in Company's House. Um, so obviously, when those those got released, I think a um, number of our fans are have got alerts of whenever any any documents come up online. And so the moment that that went up, um, yeah, things rather kicked off. Absolutely. Well, until then, the reason you hadn't been on our radar basically, is it, it seemed that the volatility left over from the 2016 takeover had kind of resolved itself and that you were chugging along quite merrily as a well-run, ambitious club. Was Is that the case? 
uh, it's we've got rather to an impasse rather than anything else i suppose uh i, I don't know if you guys are aware but um as a result of the 2016 sale, um, we've we've tried. Uh, we, we were excluded from that sale, basically. Mm, yeah. uh, deliberately excluded by the form shareholders and and probably the buying shareholders as well. Uh, so we've tried to resolve that uh, amicably uh, over the last few years. It's not really been possible possible to do that. Uh, so our members have actioned us to pursue legal action regarding. Um, the unfair prejudice we feel we've um, suffered as, as a matter of, uh, as a matter of that uh, event. Um, so uh, we're trying to progress that as it stands, but anything, especially in the current climate, is is very difficult and very slow to do. Uh, but that that is still proceeding. Um, so yeah, I mean um, things things have rather just grown to a natural relationship, or probably lack of one, really, uh, between us and the and the other shareholders, really. Well, it's interesting you say that because you said recently in an interview that the Supporters Trust faced what you called a fundamental dilemma, which is how to represent and engage with members and fans who aren't members while maintaining a productive relationship with majority shareholders. That's a difficult balancing act, isn't it? It, it can be, for sure. Um, I think what's been a bigger challenge a bigger challenge for us really has been trying to separate the relationship with the shareholders with the relationship with the club, uh, especially those on the ground. So what we've been doing the last um, year or so, and, and this really sort of kicked in once Trevor Birch came in, for example, um, we, we developed much better a much better working relationship with Trevor and his management team uh, than we had previously uh, with, with his predecessors. It, it helped rather that Hugh Jenkins was no longer in the role because obviously he was one of the former sale and shareholders. So that was obviously a big cause of the issues there. Um, so I think uh, we've what we've done is try to work more closely with the, with the team on the ground. You know, which at the end of the day they are the ones sort of addressing the issues that most relate um, are most relevant to our um, our members and the fan base generally. You know, um, you know, think what what happens in a match day is really determined by those on the ground. So we've, we've been sort of developing stronger working relationships with them. And I think that's, that's really borne fruit with um, things such as the um, season ticket packages, for example, uh, which I think, you know, what we, what we try to do around there uh, as part, part of trying to resolve um, the balancing act regarding COVID, um, I think has been very well received by, uh, by well, fans generally, really. Would you mind telling us what you did there? Because that's an issue that we have with every single club supporter in this country. My, I'm, a, I'm a Palace fan and the club tried to do the right thing, but of course they're never going to please every single fan. So how was, what did you try and resolve and how has it been received by the fans? Uh, yeah, so I think what was important to us is, as you say, different fans have different views on what to do. So we tried to give people options. So uh, if we, we can look at three different things here. Uh, so for... Uh, last, uh, so the, the rump of last season, so um, however, however many games that was, um, we gave fans the option of either they could have a refund or they could uh, keep the money in the club and there would be benefits to doing that, uh, for example, such as streaming, etc. Mm, mm. um, so, um, and um, I think the package that was offered for that, uh, there were discount codes and things like that in the club shop. And I think that one was 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 very well received, I think. Mm. Um, this year, um, we had a bit of a challenge because I mean, our, our season tickets prob- uh, come out for renewal probably earlier than a lot of other clubs. Uh, they've tended to um, go in January, for example, for, uh, January to March as, as, as an early bird option. So a lot of our fans had already renewed for 2021 uh, prior to COVID. So it was more of a challenge for this year Um the offering probably to, to keep your money in the club probably wasn't as attractive as last season's um, was, but um, the fact that there, there was still you know the option of streaming uh, discount discounts for next season season ticket uh, if you ex- uh, didn't take a refund etc was offered, uh, but if you if you didn't want to do that then you could take a refund. So uh, I think you know those were that that was that was acceptable to everyone. I think. Um, most people understood the pressures. Uh, what we've announced uh, in the last month or two is that for any fans that didn't take a refund um, this season, uh, their season ticket next year will be um, no more than £99. Uh, 
Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, no, it's absolutely, uh, that's, that's obviously been well, well received. And as obviously, it's a lot less for, I think, £79 for seniors, uh, £49 for juniors, and I think it's £23 for under-12s. So a pound a game if we're in the championship, or a bit more if we get promoted, hopefully. I was going to say that, that, that £99 is regardless of whether or not you're in the championship or the Premier League. Yes. That's brilliant. That's a really good uh, incentive, isn't it? You you mentioned uh, Trevor Birch, who left your club to become chief executive of the EFL. It, it seemed that a lot of fans saw that as a blow because he's got a reputation as a, a, an abled administrator and a, a willing communicator. You said that you established good lines of communication with him. Did that come from you or did he approach you when he took over the job? I think it's probably a bit of both, to be honest. Um, before he um, came into the role... Um, Two or three of us interviewed him um, as part of that process. So he he spoke to all the directors. It, it wasn't us making the decision by any means. Yeah, uh, okay. how, how influential our comments were is, is probably open the question. But um, you know, we had we we had the lines of communi- communication before he came in. Um, so um, yeah, so I think there was there was there was willingness on both sides and, and a wish on both sides uh, to ad- address those uh, uh, address those previous issues and sort of. Um, uh, you know, try and try and build on that. Um, yeah, and um, I think you know, obviously, nothing's ever fully plain sailing, but um, there are a couple of bumps along the way. But I think um, you know, they, they were going to be because you know we were basically start starting from scratch. Um, you know, relations relations were very very low um, before that. So no, I think we we got to a point where you know we spoke frequently, um, weekly, weekly at least. For myself, um, I think Stuart, our sport director, spoke to him much more frequently than that. Uh, and you know he still, still tends to be in the director's box for home and away games. Um, so you know is um, you know speaks speaks to him very 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 frequently. So um, no, I think um, no, that was from the wilderness was from both sides. Absolutely, you're part, Andy, of the finance subgroup which reviews monthly and annual accounts. Was that something that the club willingly embraced? That access to club accounts. Um, well, Stuart uh, is a director, so he gets access to the management accounts monthly, as do all the directors. So uh, it, 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 was an, it was an open secret that uh, Stuart would then share with uh, Lisa Clement and myself um, the management accounts, and uh, we would then review that them for any, anything we, we had any questions over, and we would raise those queries then. Mm. Uh, Kieran, presumably that's something you'd like to see at every club, isn't it? You're a big fan of openness and transparency and fans being allowed to review accounts. Um, yes, ju- just really, it, it's it stops two things. First of all, it, it stops inappropriate behaviour by the board to an extent because they are aware that decisions are being scrutinised. And, and secondly, it, it stops all the nonsense that you sometimes see in in social media and message boards. Because if uh, if the fans do have access to it, and, and there's some, but there's there's a fan in every club who uh, can simplify the numbers to to make them understandable for those people that are interested and let's face it the majority of fans aren't but mm. um it, it's it's a good way of stopping some of the nonsense uh getting out of hand uh so uh you know i'm i'm, I'm hugely in favor um it, it's something the football supporters association are very keen on as well and via them we, yeah we, we've you know I've, I've campaigned and they've campaigned uh, to to have greater transparency because we do have this this rather romantic notion that, that a football club is is more than a vehicle for people to make money. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd be the last person, Andy, that anyone would let look at their books anyway because it really is Charlie Brown's teacher as far as I'm concerned. But I'd be I'd be scared if I was on the, the supporters trust board. I'd be I'd be terrified of looking in case I found something that was not good news. Is, is that ever the same for you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I suppose it is. Um, I think, I think, I think it's like anything when you're, when you don't know the information, you can sort of live in blissful ignorance. And once you see behind the curtain, um, you see things you don't particularly like and wish you hadn't seen. And, and, and as a fan, it probably has changed my relationship with the club and my perception of things. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example, I suppose. Uh, I mean, one of the first, one of the things we were very worried about for the for the last two or three years of our Premier League tenure was our was our cash flow position. Um, it, it 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 was you know hand to mouth really, which yeah. you know when considering you're getting a hundred million 
pound plus a year really shouldn't be the case but we along with probably half that division were spending up to 70 to 80 percent of our income on on play wages yeah. which, which should, shouldn't really be the case but you know it's what was happening and you know every month we'd see the management accounts every month we see the cash flow forecast and we think oh god um so and you know the plan, the, the planning for a rainy day was was never there, and you know, obviously we were caught out on that when we got relegated, uh, when we didn't really have any any players to sell of any value <laughs> to um, to resolve the issue. So yeah, no, absolutely, it it does does rather impact things. Yep. You, you've you, you've hinted at the answer to this question already, but. Um, I'm quite stubborn. If I've if I've already written a question down, Andy, I don't like to not <laughs> ask it. Uh, but, so, being chair of the trust, auditing the accounts, etc., that brings a lot of responsibility. So, does that sometimes take away the sheer joy of just being a fan? Are there times when you when you just think to yourself, "I just want to turn up at the ground and shout," or "I just want to watch this game on telly and shout"? Having all this knowledge is really taking the gloss of the, the, just this, that 100 percent enthusiasm. It, like, yes, especially over the last four years. So since since sort of July 2016, once uh, the club was sold and we the trust was rather excluded from that, then yeah, I mean it. Since then, you know, we've been embroiled in, in legal issues and um, it's, the relationship with the, the 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 club and the ownership has changed. And yeah, it's it's totally changed my relationship with um with the club. Um, I'd like to think that's improving as as relationships improve on the ground. But um, but yeah, absolutely, it has, and there've been times, especially when the football was bad and wasn't particularly fun to watch. We we were basically, you know, the last two years in the Premier League, we were treading water. You know, it was mm. a matter of time before we got relegated. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, cu- couple of those two things together, and yeah, I wasn't particularly enjoying it. Uh, in, uh, yeah, once once um, Mr. Potter came in, um, and you know, things were much more enjoyable in the Championship. And w- when the when the games were on, you you sort of put put things to the back of your mind, and you just enjoy the football. Um, when 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 I watch something on the telly now, I'm probably shout, I, I shout as loudly as anyone, you know. Um, so um, I think when, when the game is on, you can you can sort of switch things off. But um, yeah, no. Apart from that, you know, yeah, it, yeah. When, I, when, I think yeah. yeah. I, I haven't told my dad that I'm interviewing somebody from Swansea today because he still hasn't forgiven you for the five four. Basically, oh yes, which, um, of which he described he described at the time as the worst day of his life. And considering that my mum had died six months beforehand, that was a that was a uh, big, that was a big statement. But that was um that was a dark day for us. I mean, it's not a bad time to be a fan for you at the moment. You've still got our boy Wayne Routledge down there knocking goals in. You're second yes. in the table. So you uh, can you can you dare to dream like all football fans do that August may see a full Liberty Stadium welcoming a Premier League game, and you might be rethinking that ninety nine pound special offer. Um, we, we we always dream. I mean, last last season was ridiculous, you know. Um, it, it was a hell of a long shot we get in the playoffs, and yet we we scraped in, and you know, we we, we could easily have we could easily have got promoted last year. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, this year we, we're top two. It was a thirteen clean sheets out of twenty three yeah. games. Uh, we are ridiculously solid, which is um, not a term a term we would usually use for Swansea City sides. Um, but um, no, we we. we we don't often look like conceding, and we're we're getting goals. Uh, Jamal Lowe was rather taken off in the last few games, um, so so long as we can keep that up, uh, there's no there's no, no reason why not. Really, it's, it's not the strongest division. Um, I think Bournemouth uh, and Norwich look the two standout squads. Uh, Watford are. Uh, I don't know where they are really. We, we played them last week and we played them off the park, even though it was two one. Um, but um, you, you look at the players they've got, uh, and you think they should really be doing a lot better than that. But um, no, I think we, we've we've got a shot. Absolutely. Good. Just one more question, Andy, and I'd like you to put your supporters' trust hat back on for this. You've got your your virtual AGM next week. What's what's the subject? What's going to be the most talked about item on the agenda? Do you think? I agree with the legal dispute, hundred percent. Really? Uh, so that they they want an update on what's happening with that. Um, so, 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 yeah, some people are saying, well, why why haven't we, you know, uh, issued papers yet, etc. But it's it's complicated to get to that point. So, uh, yeah, that that'll that'll be the the main issue that people will bring up. I'm sure there'll be a lot of things in terms of you know relationship with the club and things like that. But um, I would imagine the legal question would be the the main one. Well, I'm guessing that legal dispute will take some funding as well, won't it? It will absolutely, which probably is 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 the slight delay now. That, that's that's something I can't go into massive detail of in course, public about. But yeah. um, it's yeah, I mean, um, at the moment, 
it's it's a real challenge to get anything done um because you know covid has changed how businesses work um it's certainly caused delays in the legal process uh, not just for these types of cases but any, any type of case you know mm. um so um yeah i mean it's rather it's rather slowed things down during 2020 it's not stopped anything things have have proceeded we've made good progress but um yeah the wheels have just grown ground a little slower than we would have liked well we wish you well for the rest of the season and in an ideal world when your first game of next season is against palace in the premier league i'll i'll seek you out and we'll have a cup of tea or a pint and we'll we'll discuss the the demise of this terrible terrible virus that's just just causing chaos for all of us it's been lovely to talk to you andy uh, and so we wish you well and we'll keep an eye on your story and uh, update it for swansea fans as and when things happen all the best now mate bye bye cheers It's interesting, Kieran, Andy had to be somewhat circumspect about uh, the big issue, the legal issue, because of obviously the lawyers had asked him to. But what I took from that is just it's brilliant that the Supporters Trust own 21% of Swansea City. We're all for that. But that's not enough for them not to be outflanked by the other major shareholders, is it, basically? No, certainly the the, the historic uh, complaints that they had with with the former uh, guy in control in, in the form of Hugh Jenkins, you know, that they I think they were they were outmaneuvered, um, they were kept in the dark in respect of certain issues, which I think very very much frustrated them, um, and that's why there are as you know, as, as as Andy intimated uh, ongoing uh, legal concerns uh, with regards to uh, the sort of the governance of the club. Hmm. And also, I was very interested to hear him talk about the fact that that you take up that responsible position as part of the supporters trust, and suddenly some of the sheer joy of supporting a football club goes out the window because you're privy to all the the cares and concerns that the club owners are privy to as well. And sometimes football fans don't realise what a burden that is. Yes, I mean, being a fan, one of the things I love about being a football fan is for ninety minutes I can be irresponsible. Mm. And and that's quite a joyous feeling. You know, you you can let your hair down. You you, you can behave in a way yeah, without without being offensive to anybody. You you can you can be a bit daft, a bit silly, and shout out a few things. Um, if you're on the board and, and you're having to sit in the you know, the, the, the uh, in in that area of the stadium, it's it, it's slightly more uh, restrictive. Yeah, I, I got told off by Mark Bright once on one of my rare excursions into a director's box, which I didn't want to go into. I also like that clear implication, Kieran, that it's only at football that you behave in an irresponsible manner. Like, <laughs> like the rest of the time, you're an upright, steadfast citizen. Um, uh, before we go, we we mentioned as, as a news story the uh, fantastic event that run by Lockdown Theatre on Friday the 15th at 7pm to raise money uh, for the Alzheimer's Society and for research into dementia among footballers with Sir Alex Ferguson, Sir Kenny Dalglish and Gareth Southgate. There are uh, literally one or two tickets still available for that uh, if you want to take part, so go to lockdowntheatre.com. Uh, if you have any questions for our next pod, which of course is the questions pod about any level of football, about anything that you've heard from us today, then get in touch with us by questions at priceoffootball.com. And meanwhile, Kieran, it only behoves me to wish you the very best of luck on BBC Radio Derby. I wonder, I'm trying to work out whether I can get that on on my Skybox. I don't think I can reach as far as BBC Radio Derby. But I'm, I'm... You might be able to get it on the iPlayer. Yeah, yeah, that takes some effort though, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if it was easy, I'd do it. <laughs> um, I'm sure you'll handle any any question thrown at you with your usual aplomb. Uh, and I was going to say dignity, but that wouldn't necessarily be appropriate. Uh, Goodbye, everybody. Kieran, we'll leave you with our our, our customary message regarding your health. Well, once again, folks, thanks for all the feedback. Uh, If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe. If you could give us a five-star review and say say whatever you want. Uh, You could say you'd rather the the, the show was uh, was presented by the director of Horny Housewives on the job with her bro- brother Johnny Trunk um, than myself and Kenneth. We will not be offended. Um, but uh, other than that, um, you know, th- this pandemic still still causing the numbers to rack up in terms of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. So for heaven's sake, look after yourself. And, and if you're not quite sure what to do, don't do it when it comes to going out.
that that's very good advice. Uh, I, I this is probably not the appropriate time, but Johnny Trunk, my favourite porn star name was uh, he was called Omar, uh, and I found myself interviewing him for a long time ago, Channel Four late night sex show, and it transpired that Omar was only his first name; that his full porn name was Omar Gould, which, <laughs> which, which made me laugh. A great deal. So on that note, we'll say goodbye and we'll see you, we'll see you uh, on Monday for questions. Stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye. Buy a son for the